never let them stop your grind And when it's time, don't ever let them stop your shine Why? Cause you work hard to get there When you get stuck, look up, don't just sit there There's haters regardless, just do what you do You ain't through till it's finished, man, that's what winners do Alright, hey guys, and welcome back to Maddie Costanzo's podcast. I have a special guest again. He's back on. So, Coach Rob, welcome. Hey, good morning. Thanks so much for having me back. It's uh, it's a pleasure. It's always good, and it's good afternoon for, for you, or good evening. It's pretty late yeah, there. It's yeah, a, it's I like okay. the time That's difference. Right. I like it. It's good. It keeps me thinking. It keeps me on my toes. It really does, and, and I was talking to Michaela about this at dinner. It's nice because, you know, there's enough time difference between that it, like it's easy as you're shutting down a day I know you're starting yours yeah. so it makes the correspondence a little bit easier it does and, you know you like you and I always say you know feel free to text me 24 7 because when I wake up it'll be sitting there and you'll be wrapping up your day so it's good nothing kind of slips through the cracks I find I don't the listeners don't care about this but I only check my emails first thing in the morning yeah and late in the evening yeah um so with that being said it's there's always that gap in the middle of the day whether we're with clients or doing new products or whatever, you know, we mm. do a lot of filming and stuff. So you know, it works out great. I love the time difference. It's good. And it's good because that middle of the day, like you can just focus on your thing. You can focus on what you need to focus on. And I think that's, that's super important instead of having emails popping up on your phone or, or text messages. So it's good. Yeah. All right. We're yeah, going to jump straight it. into it. I don't even yeah. get my emails <laughs> on my phone for that reason. Oh, there you go. On the computer. Maybe well, I, I need to do fat that. Fat fingers and a small phone. So it doesn't work. So <laughs> Maybe I need to do that. Yeah, uh, I think that's a that's a smart idea. I have other people here, actually, other coaches that I've spoken to, and they do the same thing. They check their emails like once a day, where I've got it every day, all the time. So I maybe need to take that off. Yeah, there you go. Something to, something to work on. There you go. All right, we're gonna jump straight into it. So, um, just to give the listeners a bit of a background on today's podcast, we uh, Rob and I were just having a chat, and I was telling you that. I've been away for the last two days um, at the state titles here um, at Cessnock and it was it's a lot of fun. They're doing day three today, but we thought we were going to base today's podcast around, you know, the the most common questions, I guess, that one, I got asked over the weekend, but even not on the weekend, they're some of the most common questions that I see being asked, whether it be on online or to other coaches or to myself via emails, whatever it is. Um, so that's what we're going to focus today on. Uh, so pen and paper ready. If you don't have it, pause it and go get some, cause there's always going to be some, uh, great information on these podcasts. But anyways, let's jump into the first question. So Rob, the first question is obviously a really, really common one. Um, I think a lot of parents struggle with this, with their, their young kids, especially when it comes to like nerves and stuff, but not eating. So what do you eat on race day um, and what should the parents and the kids be kind of like looking for when they're trying to get obviously the nutritional value in? The very first thing I want everybody to keep in mind is your body doesn't know if it's Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. It doesn't know if it's sitting at home or sitting at Cessnock. The idea here is you just need to stay with the same consistent amount of food. Now there's, there's, I'm sorry, not only the amount of food, but the types of food. Uh, you and I talked about this off the record. We refer to it as the QQ coefficient. What's the quality of your food? And then what's the quantity? We assume that we get it cleaned up as we talked about in our last pod together. Eating nutritionally is nutritional dense, but it's not calorically dense. So when we've got athletes burning three, four or 5,000 kilojoules, yeah, you're, you're going to be in a real struggle to get enough. That's where the QQ comes in quality first, then enough quality, excuse me, getting enough quantity of that quality food. Yeah. So whenever somebody says to me, hey, what should I eat? I said, just what you eat every day. Now, obviously, you don't want to take that out of context. We don't want them eating a, you know, a four-course meal 20 minutes before they get on the motorcycle. But if you're looking for the what to eat, just keep it what you're normally eating on a regular basis. The body loves familiarity. The thing that becomes a challenge, of course, is the nerves in the morning. And I know the younger riders aren't going to like this, but you literally just have to program yourself to get uncomfortable. I always say it this way. If, if your mechanic or your parents just decide that the, the weight of your gas can is just simply too heavy and they just don't want to do it, well, what, how's that motorcycle going to run? There's no fuel in the bike. And you and I talked about this in our previous podcast together. As a human being, we're dangerous because we, we have no absolutes. You know, if we run out of fuel our body has enough reserves and enough ways to adapt it'll continue to survive 
a motorcycle, it's a zero or a one. It's either running as what it needs or it just stops because it doesn't. We, we get a little bit, I, I believe, we take and cater to the motorcycle a lot better than we do ourselves because we do have that margin of error. Yep. So I always say, first and foremost, start with what you normally eat. Understand nutritional timing. The magical number is two hours. That gives your body time to digest what you've eaten, purge what it doesn't need, store what it does need, glycogen, etc. And then after, let's, let's do some math for the listeners. If you have a 9 a.m. practice or start time, breakfast needs to be done by 7 a.m. That gives you that two-hour window. Then once you're done with breakfast, maybe you're on the way to the track or if you're at the track, right, just walk around milking your you know, your sports drink, you and I refer to it as an isotonic sports drink. Yeah. That way you're keeping topped off on sugar and electrolytes, but it doesn't have to be crazy overboard because what you've eaten for breakfast is already kind of topped off all those reserves. What's important for your listeners to understand is stored sugar is the preferred fuel source versus something that you put in your belly because your body's got to make an executive decision, go out and go fast on a motorcycle or break down food. The same blood and water necessary for digestion is the same thing that's necessary for being on the motorcycle. So when you're looking at providing enough oxygen, providing enough blood, providing enough water to the skin, the muscles for movement with oxygen, and then to the skin for water, that same blood and water has got to go to the stomach for digestion. So you don't want that executive decision because digestion of food is always going to get pushed by the wayside. Now, with that being said, this is where you and I, we try to help our athletes the best we can, and that is race day simulation. I mean, think about when you were playing at the top of your game. How many air quotes here? How many high-level, uh, uh, elite-level scrimmaging did you do? A you know, lot. you didn't go down and play with the young girls at 12 and 13. You guys would take your elite team, break it up, and it was at that same high level. Well, that's game day simulation, whether it's the execution of passing, implementing plays, dealing with the unknown, whatever the it may be. Well, to the subject of what do we eat on race day, you've got to practice it. And there's a guy that, um, for those of you that follow triathlon at all, especially being from Australia, you guys have probably one of the most dynamic junior development programs in the sport of tri- in the entire sport. There was a guy by the name of Peter Reed who had won Ironman Hawaii a couple of times. He's from Canada. And what he would talk about is, he would, he would try to train his belly to get used to being uncomfortable. So he would eat an entire plate of nachos and put jalapenos and hot sauce, and he would eat the entire plate, and then he'd go for a three-hour run. Yeah, wow. Well. Just to teach his body to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And I'm not advocating that because I don't want all of our listeners to get sick because, it, you know, we're not trying to be rude here, but let's be honest and transparent. You're either going to regurgitate it or you're gonna, it's going to go through your bottom. If the body gets to a point where it just doesn't want it, it'll purge. And it's never a very exciting. It's never a very enjoyable situation. But it's an example that I always like to utilize because we need our listeners to understand if you've got a 7 or an 8 a.m. start time, you've got to back the timeline up. Because this is a lot of times, not all the answers, but a lot of times, this is why the athlete says that they feel sick to their stomach on race day because they've tried to eat something a little too close. So they've gone from being nice and relaxed to 170, 180 heart rate. And this belly full of food is going to take a backseat to human performance. Yeah. And I want the listeners to understand the difference. If you stuff food in your gut and it's too close to go time, the food's going to get pushed back, either pushed out or pushed out. Yeah. Not to be rude, but that's the reality of it. So the answer to the question is eat what you normally do. Yeah. Time your food correctly. And, you know, I hate to say it, but train yourself. For the young athletes, they're like, oh, I don't want to eat on race day. Okay, well, then when your mechanic says he or she doesn't want to pick up your gas can, you, you don't be mad at them because they didn't want to do it. Yeah, no, okay? uh, this is, like what you've just said is, is, is like spot on and it's so good because I had a young mum obviously ask me this earlier in the week. So I shot her an email and everything that you've just said is just, I've said it, they have to get uncomfortable with waking up earlier to actually get the food in so that they don't feel sick. So they have time to process it. Um, And then that, I use that analogy of like, would you try and go to the start line with an empty tank of fuel in your black? So why are you doing it to your body? So now it's two people saying it. So hopefully the kids (laughs) kids start to listen a little bit more. It's good. Absolutely. It's hard though. Like it is hard. And because they are kids, they're still learning, you know, they're not... 
they're not thinking that far ahead they're just thinking about oh, I just want to race but obviously the more that they can start practicing these thoughts and understanding what they what they need to be doing treating themselves like professional athletes now um, in a couple of years time it will just become second nature and they won't even have to think about it absolutely that's the key right there all right next one so um how to minimize arm pump. Now, obviously, before I even like started coaching these kids in, in motocross and in BMX now, which is really cool, and freestyle, um, I didn't even know what arm pump was. So I've done a lot of research on it to obviously try and help my athletes as best I can. And there's multiple answers. Uh, you know, some say massage, some say um, stretching, some say drink more water, you know. And then I even found that there's like a documentary on the surgery, you know, to try and obviously with the fascia and everything like that. And I was like blown away by how many different answers there actually is to this one question. So you being the expert, um, what is your professional opinion, I guess, and how, how can they minimize arm pump? The arm pump is nothing more than bad body position on the motorcycle. That's the beginning of the story and that's the end of the story. That's how long the chapter is. That's how short the book is because I want everybody to think about this anatomically. If I'm squeezing the bike, I'm on my toes, I'm riding with my toes inward, my knees are squeezing with or without knee braces, I'm able to distribute all that power, the inertia, the acceleration, the deceleration. I can, I can shift that load to some of the biggest muscles in the body, quads, hamstrings, glutes, lower back, erector spinae. I can distribute that weight. Well, I want the listeners to close their eyes if they're not driving, listening to your pod. Imagine being filmed from the side of the motorcycle. Is the belly button stationed over the center of the bike? Because as soon as that belly button drifts behind the pegs, the only muscles left to hang on, no pun intended, are your forearms. So whenever somebody's complaining to me about arm pump, I don't even want to get into a conversation. Send me yeah. video. Yeah. Because wow. the young riders will argue with their riding coaches and their parents that they're in the attack position with their belly button over the center of the pegs. Well, let's let's strip the emotion from it. Show me film, slow-mo, of you going by them, coming towards them, and then going away from them, them being the people that are filming. And with the mm -hmm. phones nowadays, mm -hmm. you can put it in slow-mo, the camera quality is kind of crazy good. Yeah. What that does, it strips the emotion out of it. As soon as that belly button drifts behind the pegs, you're, you lose the ability to be able to squeeze the bike with your legs. So that's, to me, that's the beginning and the end of conversation when it comes to arm pump. Now, let's get into the ancillary components of that, because you mentioned them all. Dehydration, electrolyte depletion could cause arm pump. Not being physically strong, not being flexible, that can cause arm pump. Uh, we could go down all of these external modalities. The one that, and you brought it up, and it's something that is just really a dangerous arm surgery is absolutely not necessary. Because if you think about a woman that has a C-section and they cut from the left hip bone to the right hip bone, Anytime there's an incision in the body, the body's always going to deposit body fat on that point of incision. Well, if you look at below, or I guess depending on how you want to look at the layers, if you look above the body fat, I want the listeners to think about this. A lady has had a C-section from hip bone to hip bone. And if you look at her, she's always going to have that little raised amount body fat slash scar tissue. So what I want the listeners to think about, it's the scar tissue that becomes inelastic, which now what you were trying to fix, you just made worse. Because anytime I cut the body, I lose the elasticity of that immediate tissue. Now, back in the early 80s, excuse me, late 80s, early 90s, we didn't know any better. It just seemed to make sense, right? You have skin, fascia, muscle. If it's all bound up in there, why don't we just cut it apart? Well, unfortunately, scar tissue is worse than the original, which then segues us back to massage. Most of us spend money to go get a massage. We get big muscle groups. You know, we go into our back, we go into our lower back, we go into legs, quads, because that feels good. But when was the last time the listeners took the time to get some massage work, get some contrast therapy work? Uh, again, get strong in the gym, get strong with flexibility, not because you allow me to be on your show, but they need someone like yourself, not, you know, a gym rat that just to say get strong. Well, it's got to be functional strength functional strength with functional flexibility. That's the synergistic relationship that we're after. Yeah. 
So arm pump is always going to be bad potty position. Now, it's funny because over here in the States, you've got people that are pedaling. You know, here's a, you know, uh, some, for a while it was pickle juice. Take pickle juice, it works. And, and there would be people that would call me up and go, man, if that was the answer. It was the answer. And I go, what's they did pickle it juice? Yeah. A lot of sodium. What's sodium? It's an electrolyte. Why don't you just eat better food? Make sure that you're balanced with sodium, potassium, magnesium, calcium. Oh, that's a novel idea. You don't need pickle juice. You don't need some magical. If somebody's trying to peddle an arm pump product, it's total nonsense. Because you and I, I have a massage therapy background. You have a good background with anatomy and physiology. Any one of your clients that come in, yes, we understand that the arms are doing a lot of work, pushing and pulling, grabbing the brakes, turning the throttle, pulling the clutch. We understand that. But isn't it interesting if we asked one of our listeners to do 25 air squats, do do 45 box hops, and do them as fast as you can, and then we take that same range of motion and take it out to the track of them standing up and sitting down on the bike, is there any surprise that they get tired when we know the quadriceps are the largest consumer of oxygen? That's that sport specificity that yeah, you yeah. bring to the table as an athlete, as a physio, somebody who goes and invests time to go out and learn more, watch, observe, talk, research. That's what's going to be imperative because you can't just say arm pump is one thing. You say, well, Robbie just contradicted yourself. It's, it's bad body position. You're exactly right. But what's the catalyst for bad body position? If you're dehydrated, you're going to sit more. If you have tight muscles, you're going to fatigue quicker. I don't think people understand that. If a muscle doesn't slide and glide, it just increases the core body temperature. It decreases the speed. It decreases the endurance. So, yeah, you could say that arm pump is because of hydration or a lack thereof. You could say it's because of an electrolyte imbalance or a lack thereof. We can go through the lack of strength and or flexibility. And I don't want the listeners to be overwhelmed. This is why you have to have a complete program. You can't, and, and again, I don't want people to think that I'm just trying to sell you, but people who aren't using you are foolish because you're educating them on the nutrition and how it integrates with electrolytes and then hydration and protein and fat and carbs. And you go to the gym on functional movement, flexibility, proprioceptive balance, eye-hand coordination. You put all of those components together and you've got an individual that has fantastic reaction time, good balance over the transition of the gate, able to drag the front brake and maintain proper body balance, can go the distance at the speed. We refer to it as critical speed and threshold of fatigue. Whether it's seven laps, seven minutes, 60 minutes, three hours, it doesn't matter. So arm pump is always about bad body position. Now you've got to ask yourself for the listener, what am I, what am I missing? If I'm mm. 20 kilos overweight, then you probably should drop weight. That'll help. You know, if you're not going to the gym, you probably should. If you're not getting massage or taking foam rolling seriously, you should. If you're not taking nutrition seriously, you should. But the one thing that people also tend to forget about is overgripping, putting a death grip on the bike. It's amazing if you watch the top, top guys, they almost are riding with their index finger and their thumb. Yeah. Everything else is a modality, brake, clutch, whatever. But if you watch them, their hands do not have that death grip on it. So those are the two things that we notice are the big issue. It's going to be bad body position or putting the death grip on. Yeah, so. well, I think, and and to be honest, like that's a, that's a new one for me. I haven't even heard about just simply that body position and that that little change. And it's crazy that no matter, and it, and it goes with so many things in the world, but that little change can set you free. You know, like that little yep. change in like, I'm sure, and I hope a lot of riders that listen to this go video themselves now and, and check their body position and see where they're at because that little change could obviously change their whole race. You know, they, they, they could do so much more just by making that little little adjustment. Well, think about that adductor muscle from the inside of your knee to your pubic bone. It's such a difficult muscle to isolate, but yet we rely exclusively on that riding on the balls of your feet, toes turned inward, assuming your knee braces are able to grip the bike. Most of us only think about body position when we're under full acceleration. But what about when you come into a corner, that inside leg has got, if you don't want to dab your foot, it's got to be strong. Not just mm -hmm. vastus lateralis, not the muscle just on the outside, but all four of them, hence the word quadricep. Yeah. That's where someone like you in your experience, and, and, and I, I don't want the listeners to get overwhelmed. I want them to be encouraged. You think you're going to the gym and doing the right thing. The, for the listeners, please be, please be patient with the anatomy for just a second. If you look down at the dead center of your quads, the dead center muscle 
that rectus femoris, that big, we call that a power whore. It wants to rob that fundamental movement of taking your butt off the seat. That's the biggest power monger. Mm-hmm. But then once you raise your bum off the seat, vastus lateralis, the muscle on the outside of your legs, well, then it becomes a power whore. Mm-hmm. Well, now what happens is two of the four muscles are getting overworked. Now you get a muscular imbalance that translates into a biomechanical issue. They need a good physio that understands functional movement specific to sport and can catch the the difference between an imbalance of strength versus an imbalance of flexibility and then finding the right time that they come together. Yeah. Because we all know some people lack strength, but maybe it's only in two of the four muscles. And you and I've talked about this off the record. You know, if somebody's got overdeveloped chest muscles, now their shoulders start rolling forward. It just creates havoc in the in the rhomboids and upper traps and levator. Well, if you don't have somebody that looks at you and goes, and listeners, think about this. Why would my chest be overdeveloped? I probably like to do flat bench, yeah. incline, decline, right? Because the girls like it on the beach. Look at me, I got these big pecs, right? Not realizing that now the shoulder, the head of the humerus, is now rolling forward, which is creating havoc on your attack position on the motorcycle. You think you look good on the beach, but you're functionally a debacle on the motorcycle. Yeah, That's sure. what we have to be careful of. And I, I can't emphasize it because I know not everybody can come to you because of mm-hmm. geographic challenges. Find a good physio. Yeah, Get in touch with Maddie. She can refer you to somebody that's in your geo area that is going to lead you the right direction. I can tell you this. It's very rarely the guy down at the guy or the girl down at the gym that could put it all together. It's very rarely a massage therapist that could put it all together. It's not a nutritionist that could put it all together. You've got to find somebody that has the whole package, no pun intended. That's why our program is called complete racing solutions. It's not by accident. Yeah. You know, so I hope people understand the importance of a good physio such as yourself. Yeah, well, for sure. It's uh, I was just back on like what you're talking about with like the, the quads and everything. I get, you know, obviously a basic wall sit. Most people can do a basic wall sit. And I've started to get my riders over the last probably six months. They have to hold a a medicine ball or a dead ball um, in between their knees while they're doing this wall sit. And it is crazy that a lot of them can't even last a minute. And I go, and you're trying to do 20 minute. Yeah. And you're trying to do a 20 minute motor, 15 minute motor, whatever it is, right. Where you're meant to be gripping onto the bike with your legs like that. And you can't even do a one minute wall sit with just a a six kilo, you know, med ball between your knees and what a a 250 weighs 106 kilos. Yeah. Like it blows my mind. And that was just a little, a few numbers for, for the guys listening to really understand that, you know, if you can't even squeeze a, a three to six kilo med ball, you know, we've got some work to do on that, that, that inner, inner thigh, I guess that's the easiest way to explain it for people that don't know the anatomy the best. Um, but yeah, those are doctors there. It's, it, it blows my mind. But you bring that full circle. They come in, they see that they can't hold that med ball. And then what's that going to do? That translates to when you're on the motorcycle, you don't have that same strength. So what do you do? Bad body position. And someone says, oh, I have arm pump. No, mm. you have weak inner thighs. You have lack of, you know, fill in the blank, muscular strength, lactate tolerance, anaerobic threshold. All those energy systems are lacking. And so what is the end product? Arm pump. Arm pump yeah. And then what's the end? Injury, going backwards, throwing anchor, frustration. So what do they do? They buy a faster motor and stiffer suspension, which only brings to the surface your lack of strength and flexibility. Yeah. And, that's and I don't want to coin that as, a, as, a, as an arrogant or sarcastic comment. That's why you need to invest in the human body before you go investing in stiffer suspension and faster motors. Yes, 100%. Cool. Well, thank you. That was a good good point blank answer, which I, I'm sure a lot of people are going to go, ooh, all right. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> that's all right. It's good. All right, next question. So um, it was good because we spoke a little bit on, like, obviously, your electrolytes and everything in that first and second question. But this, this question is based around supplements. Now, I'm personally a big believer is, if you have a full, um, I guess, range of foods that you eat, and I think if you're very open to making sure you eat your right nutrition value, um, that you will get a lot of this in naturally through good foods. But obviously, some people need supplementation for certain reasons, for certain things. Um, I know I supplement magnesium um, and vitamin C and vitamin D just to keep me nice and healthy, especially in winter, that vitamin C and D, because we don't get enough of it from, from the sun. Um, but what are your thoughts on supplements and, you know, is there any, I guess, 
a lot of parents are having problems with getting their kids to even take like supplements like magnesium, you know, just to help with cramping and, and, and everything like that. Um, but what are your thoughts behind supplements? If you don't mind, let me reverse engineer the question. The sure. last comment that the parents are running into, yeah, the parents need to sit their young riders down and ask themselves, are they looking at everything they do as an investment or a sacrifice? Because I have a really hard time when parents spend tons of time, a lot of resources, whether it be monetary, emotional energy, you know, time in the car, wear and tear. And, and we all understand it's not like the little nippers are out pulling out the credit card and buying the motorcycles. We understand that. But I think the nippers have a tendency to lose perspective on, are you looking at taking supplements? Are you looking at eating good food as a sacrifice or an investment? Because I think, you know, you look at, you look at Brock's parents, you look at Kurt's parents, they're investing in them. And those two guys invest back into themselves. And Mm -hmm. what does that collectively create? Two very fast riders. I mean, they're, ripping you look at the lawlers the exact same situation you know yeah richie put i think if you step back and you look at richie's success richie has invested the mental and physical energy to meet the financial the mm-hmm. time the resources that the lawlers have put in what have you got now a guy that's consistently at the front of the pack yeah yes we have racing instances things happen now let's take it go back to the original question I don't think a parent should have to berate their child to do the right thing. I, you know, of all the sports that are out there, moto, any motorsports is probably the most expensive route you can go. I, I say this in my workshops, try to be sarcastic to kind of break the ice, but I mean it sincerely. I think the young guys need to find another sport. There's less expensive sports if you're just not going to really invest in what it takes. Now, I'm not saying you can't be a recreational rider, but we're talking about at the elite level of performance. And I, and I shouldn't even say that. Even a weekend warrior needs to look at actions are about investments, not sacrifices. Because that's more of a mindset of a champion, whether it's a champion in life, championship in a good relationship, championship, you know, in every facet of life. Now let's go back to, should people supplement? And the answer is unequivocally, no, you should not. And I own my own supplement business. So now your listeners are like, this guy's crazy. What's he talking about? All right, so hopefully I got your attention, okay? I don't want anybody buying my supplements until we can validate that there's a legitimate need for them. Like you said, if you're taking notes, I want you to write these three bullet points down. Whenever you go get blood work done and it says you're out of range of vitamin C, D, zinc, iron, magnesium, whatever the it is, those micronutrients, when they show that they're out of range, what would be a reason why you'd be out of range? Well, number one, you're simply not eating enough to your point. Number two, you're burning it faster than you can get it in. Or the third one is you're not absorbing what you're taking in. Now, what I always say is, ideally, please get your blood work drawn every three months, once a quarter. Because Maddie keeps copious notes. She knows what you've done, volume, frequency, and intensity for 12 weeks. You go get a snapshot of blood work. If you keep a pretty meticulous food log, wow, you've got the most accurate snapshot of here's what we did. Here's what we consumed, and are we in that sweet spot? If we're not, what are we not absorbing? Or excuse me, what are we not in the proper range with? If it's a B vitamin, an energy vitamin, okay, maybe eat some more grains and high-quality things that are high in B vitamins. Um, I'm not, And again, this isn't an exact science because there's so many moving parts, but if you're eating pretty much the same thing, volume, quality, then we're back to the QQ again, and you're managing the frequency, the intensity, and the duration, we can create a customized nutrition program, but this is where the athlete has to be patient. If you don't keep notes and we get this blood work back and you don't have notes for us to look back on, we can't make, we don't know where to make an adjustment. Yeah, for sure. If an athlete trains with you for three months and he or she goes out and doesn't perform the way they want, it's not that your program doesn't work. Maybe the demands of the race the, the soccer match, the football, the rugby, the moto, the triathlon, the running, the mountain bike, maybe the dynamics of the race took on a new level of difficulty that we've never seen before. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't mean you weren't fit. It just means because I know you well enough, and you and I have talked off the record about this, you do a phenomenal job of ascertaining, okay, what is it you're training for? What are the demands? And we're going to train to the specificity of that. Well, if all of a sudden the characteristics of the of the competition it's a three-day soccer tournament 
and all of a sudden it's unconditionally hot. It doesn't mean that they weren't fit. Maybe they just got smashed by the heat and humidity, and maybe you've just come out of a season where it hasn't even been that hot so far this year. Yeah. It's not a fitness issue. It was heat acclimatization. It was dealing with the exposure to heat. And that's how I feel with supplementation is until we deem it necessary, I would prefer you not to take supplements. And here's the reason why is particularly for the parents, because if you tell little Johnny or little Susie that they need to eat a whey protein shake, what's the number one question they're going to ask? Well, why should I eat that? What has protein in it? So this is this, this is the very slippery slope we run into. Now little Johnny and Susie thinks that a smoothie is a meal. Yeah. It's not. Mm. It's not real food. I'm sorry. Now, you could argue with me that everything you're putting in your smoothie is real food. I'm with you. But I don't want because the young the, the little ones are not going to understand. They're going to start putting together, "Well, I don't need to eat food. I could just take supplements." Well, if you supplement with amino acids, you're not the bioavailability, your ability of, to absorb is never going to be as good from a supplement as it will be from real food. Yeah. Just the reality of it. That's why I don't recommend supplementation until you can answer those three questions. Am I getting enough? Am I burning more than I'm taking in? And I'm, do I good have, excuse me, do I have good gut health? If I do, then I don't need supplements because to your point, I'm eating real raw food. Notice yeah. I didn't use the word organic. Organic's hard. It's yeah. expensive. It's got a high perishable rate. I don't eat all organic. I don't want the listeners to think I, I try to live in this little glass house telling everybody what to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I do shop the perimeter of the store. I try to avoid stuff in a can, a bag, or a, a, a wrap. But, you know, I'm not going to sound, I'm not going to sit here and say that I don't eat an energy bar if I'm going through the airport and it's been six hours. You know what I mean? We're just keeping it at the 10,000 foot view. Yeah. So for the parents on the supplements, it goes back to what we said. If, they can, if they're struggling to get them to eat real good food, and I, know, I mean that seriously, real good food. I don't want that to be taken out of context on the radio. But you need to ask that athlete, what's your perspective here? Yeah. Mom and dad are investing tons of money, tons of time, and they do it with a big heart. They love it. They want to do it. But when all they're met with is resistance from the youngster that says, I just don't want to do that, I have a problem with that. That's why I say find something less expensive to do. Fly a kite. It's a lot better. Yeah, and I think um, this is just – I've said this to a couple of parents and, and this is just because ha- how I got brought up with my with my sport and wanting to travel overseas and you know I remember that first big uh, team I got selected to travel overseas right I was so excited and mum and dad are like you're going on your own you're just going to go with the team and I was like 11 and I was like what and they're like well this is how you're going to learn this is how you're going to learn to make sure you're on time you pack your bag you don't forget your boots you don't you make sure you eat right and that was the best lesson that I could have ever got taught was to do it myself, you know, and and not have mum and dad there going, you need to eat this, you need to pack this, or I've got everything packed for you. But it was it was a hard lesson, you know, like I think I only forgot my boots once in my life because <laughs> that one right. time that I forgot it, I did not play. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was it was yeah. literally it was that one time and never again. So I don't know, like parents can take that on board with, you know, eating, supplementation, training, whatever it is, is like Sometimes the hard lesson is the best lesson and they'll probably only do it once. That's right. Well, and I, I, for anybody who's listening, that's come to my performance workshop, this is a redundant statement, but I always say when you make this level of commitment to, to perfection, you know, you make this commitment to yourself at, you know, for our listeners that are weekend warriors that just like to ride in the bush. When you make that commitment to yourself, it needs to permeate everywhere. And so for the youngsters, I always say to the parents, and I, I, excuse me, I say to the riders for the benefit of the parents, if your parents have to stay on you to brush your teeth, go to bed, put down the Xbox, put the sodas down, stay away from the junk food, you know, because you go to your friend's house and mom and dad aren't there to babysit you. But if your mom and dad have to worry that you're over there raiding somebody else's food pantry and you're gobbling down stuff that you know is just going to give you diarrhea and GI distress and low stabilized, you know, your blood sugar is not stable, then again, find another sport because just the, the, just the cost of putting new, you know, Dunlops on your motorcycle, just the cost of tires. If there's not some level of commitment, and I think if the parents have to constantly be chasing around, Hey, Johnny, don't do this. Hey, Susie, don't do that. I, I agree with you. I think at some point you got to say to yourself, who wants it more? Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying it has to be hellfire and brimstone. There needs to be some nice balance. 
but it can't be when mom and dad are trying to get you to do fundamental things. Like you said, be on time, remember to pack your gear bag and all that goes with it. it I think it's, um, the parents shouldn't have to browbeat the kids. It's, and I always use this analogy when we're talking about nutrition at performance camps. If they, if the young, if the rider, no matter how young they are, gets mad that mom or dad or their mechanic puts diesel fuel in their motorcycle, then why do you think it's not cool for you to eat junk food when you know your body's going to have the exact same effect? Yeah. And if you just keep it that fundamental Simple. and keep yeah. it that superficial, mom and dad, you need to just step back and go, look, I'm not going to beg you to become successful. I'll give you the resources. That's what we were saying about the Lawlers earlier mm-hmm. or Brock and Kurt. It's not going to be met in the middle. Then if I were the parents, I would tap out. And I think this is exactly why you see Kurt and Brock's parents leaning in, mm. doing as much as yeah. they do, traveling, investing in resources, taking them to your gym. You know, it, it takes time and it takes energy. But then look at those. And I appreciate when you post being 9,000 miles away from you. I love seeing Kirk and Brock in there. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Because yeah. that, that strikes a chord with me because I'm like, that's what I love. Not because they're repping the Moto E brand. I, yeah. I'm just appreciative of that. But because I see what they're putting in because I know what their mom and dad have put in. I've had great conversations with them. They're, those parents are some of, I mean, absolute mint parents. I love them to death. They are, yeah. But they're they're also a no BS kind of people. It's like, you know, you're going to have to put in the way we put in and to see those two guys and you know, to watch them grow up. I mean, Kurt is so doggone big and, you know, I think he's taller than Brock now and yeah, I remember he is, the yeah. other way. So, but no, to your point, parents, I don't think you should have to, you know, browbeat and chase your kids around to make them successful. For sure. And, and, and it's definitely, um, yeah, it's definitely a two way street. I always say that to, to the kids and the parents. Um, but like, Going on to the last question, we're going to tie that in together because those those two boys do come to the gym and train with me and they train very hard along with a lot, obviously a lot of other riders. Um, and they've, I think, under, they understand obviously the importance of off-the-bike training. But um, this is the last question because I got this a few times okay. when I introduced myself to people on the weekend. Um, they said, like, who are you? What do you do? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm a trainer. I train or this guy, this guy, this guy off the bike. And they said, oh. I've, I've heard about that, but like, is it really that important? Do you know what I mean? So, um, and you know, you stand there for the next 20 minutes trying to explain to them, yeah, this is important. This is important. You know what I mean? So, um, but, and, and like I said, those boys, Brock and Kurt and Cooper and all that understand the importance of off the bike training. Um, but for you, what, why is it important? Why do you think it's super important to have off the bike training? Like you said at the start, obviously your body position and strength and everything like that. Um, but yeah, do you want to go into that a little bit more for, for the parents sure. and for, for the riders too? Cause it's not just sitting on a bike and going as fast as you can. There's lots of other things Absolutely involved. not. I wish it was, but, uh, I can, I can go on public record as saying of all the athletes we work with, there's no, there's not a single sport that uses more muscle than moto. Mm-hmm. That matter if you're riding in the bush 100%. or whether you're riding on a motocross track, the pushing and the pulling and the velocity and the weight of the bike and all that goes with it, nothing matches. And you, and you can see this when you look at max heart rate numbers. You look at max heart rate on the motorcycle is always 10 to 12 beats higher than it is running. It's always 10 to 12 beats higher than the ski erg or the Concept 2 rower. Mm-hmm. And it, it goes down from there. Um, and, and I'm using that as a, just a, as a ballpark range, but my experience has been it's usually around 10 to 12 beats. And for the listener, it's because the more muscle you use, the higher the heart rate. We could do a whole show on just heart rates. But with that being said, I want the parents, the listeners that are not involved with off-the-bike training to think about it. As curt as it may sound when I, I make this statement, who do you think is riding the motorcycle? And, and you've got to really take that seriously because – you're taking, as you say, a hundred kilo bike. Mm. You're adding 60, 70 kilometers an hour. You're adding obstacles. You're adding uh, the deceleration, the redirection of energy, and then the reacceleration. That takes a tremendous amount of strength. It takes a tremendous amount of endurance, and it also takes a lot of flexibility. Then you can factor in hydration and nutrition that we've already talked about tonight. Yeah. So off the bike training has to be thought about this way. If you've got a nipper that's on a 65, they're moving to an 85. If you've got an 85 rider, they're moving to a 125. Why do you always want to be behind the eight ball? Uh, You know, I hate to see it when you've got somebody that gets put on a bike and the bike rides them. Yeah. What do we inevitably see? Accidents, accidents that are injuries, 
not always, but a lot of times you have individuals that are on a bike way too big for them, whether it's on sheer size and or speed and power on a human body that's not physically strong enough or flexible enough to handle that size bike. So off the bike is absolutely imperative because there's, you know, if we have, if you have a listener that maybe has never even bought a dirt bike and he or she decides to go buy a KTM 350 to go ride in the bush, I hope they understand that if they're not physically strong, they need to before they buy that 350. Because I want you, you have a diversified list listener base. And I want to make sure that that's clear. Yeah. If somebody's listening to you and they decide they've never been an athlete their whole life and now they want to go take up soccer, they just want to do a pickup league on the weekend. You better get fit before you go try to run up and down that field whether it's passing, whether it's running up and down the field consistently, it's, and I'm not trying to embarrass you, but you make it look easy. What they don't see are the years and the years and the years of in the gym, on the field, in the gym, in the field, you know, and that strength balances where we talk about athletic maturity. Every time, you know, the horn goes off and that ball is kicked at midfield, you learn more about yourself. You become a more durable athlete, et cetera. That's why off the bike is imperative because it will minimize the risk of injury. It will help you be a lot more resilient to bouncing and not breaking should you hit the ground. And I also want the listeners to think about the idea of fatigue. You know, we, we read about it all the time. Athletes, irregardless of sport, we read about people who don't reach their potential or they don't have the longevity because of adrenal fatigue, Epstein-Barr, whatever the it is that gets, you know, gets titled and identified mm-hmm. as, well, what keeps that from happening? the proper balance of training on the motorcycle and the proper balance of training off the motorcycle with our athletes. We're very, very detail oriented. I break down how many hours a week total they're going to do. I break down how many of those hours are on the bike and off the bike. We subcategorize that into what percentage is aerobic and anaerobic. And then we look at residual fatigue. Now for the listener, they're like, Holy cow, that's a lot. Well, we've been doing this for 38 years. We have a process and a system we have a lot of computer programs that we programmed ourselves for these analytical services. But the point is this, if you think that you could just go out there and every day, just grind, 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 I want you to draw the parallels between the human body and that motorcycle. You don't go out and ride your motorcycle in second gear and go out and ride it for 30 minutes. The average person would go, that's silly. Well, then why do you keep taking your heart rate through the roof and smashing yourself? If you're looking at the idea that you're going to go out and you're going to take that bike in second gear and you're going to ride it for three hours and you're not going to put any fuel in it, how does that make any sense? Nobody would agree that that makes any sense. So what makes you think that you've got the strength and the endurance just to pick it up, walk off the couch, get geared up and be able to go ride a motorcycle and not get hurt? You're going to get beat down on speed. You're going to get beat down on the, the velocity of the motorcycle pushing and pulling, the obstacles resisting. Not to, ch- not to sound sarcastic, for every action, there's an equal and equivalent reaction. And that's before we add speed and velocity. Yeah. So yeah. you cannot underestimate the, the importance of physio. But this, if you bring it full circle based on what we talked about here this morning, what is the full circle? Knowing what to do. That's why they need someone like yourself. Knowing how much to do to strike balance so that there's a positive adaptation versus a negative adaptation making sure that there's enough sleep and food to offset the volume. But as you said at the beginning of this morning's podcast, a lot of people don't know how much or what. They don't know when to eat it. They think they should train, but they don't know how to address off-the-bike training. They don't know how to integrate it against on-the-bike. And that's where a specialist like yourself can make a big difference. So I hope people understand the the off-the-bike is just as important as what you're putting in the fuel you know, what you're doing with configuration of suspension, chassis, tires, metals, like chains and sprockets and bars, every little minute detail that you dial in on the bike, the human body's got to do the same thing. And it's not as overwhelming as you think. And I say this in all my performance workshops, none of us came out of the womb understanding how to set up suspension, but yet you've got nippers that can tell you that they need to speed it up or slow it down. Yeah. But you bring up glycogen synthase enzyme or lactate, uh, the lactic acid shuffle or oh, they go, Oh no, no, I'm gonna plug my ears. That's just too much. Stop, stop, stop. Relax, put a smile on your face, take a deep breath. Let's grab, let's hold hands and let's, let's grab these concepts and break them down. Like you said, at the beginning of the pod, write things down, 
both you and I are very open about, you know, if you have a question, hit us up. Yeah, Whether it's, sure. I, I prefer you email because I'm not good with DMs, but, you know, please email me. But yeah, like you say, if you don't know or you've been trying to do something and we call it a frustration, you've kind of bumped your head against a glass ceiling. That's what that's what our companies are all about. We're not here trying to sell you. I'm in no. the States. Somebody may be over in Perth and it's just logistically not possible to work out with you three days a week. That's fine. But at least let's get some questions answered, some frustrations addressed, because I don't want the listeners to think that we're always, it's about the money. No, it's no. about making people healthier, more aware. And if it comes to, I always use the mantra health, wellness, and then performance, we're, we're ready for you. Yeah. Well, like you said, it. but you got to have that foundation first. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's all it is. And sometimes it's just a conversation like, like we're doing right now, like technology is awesome. And you know, yep. a Zoom chat. So like they can Zoom chat and have a chat with you. They can Zoom chat, have a chat with me. I just got one of um my long distance, I guess, riders. He's like six hours away, you know. I'm, I'm not going to see him on a weekly basis, but we just schedule a 30-minute Zoom chat every week. And, and it's And it's the best thing ever. And I finally got to watch him ride on the weekend. Um, And like him and his mom and everyone, he just looks so calm. I've only been working with him for two weeks. And he's just still more calm because he's, it's almost like he's just said then it's like holding hands, you know, you got someone there to support you. So you're a little bit more at ease that, you know, you're doing the right thing. And, and all it simply is because like they asked the, the, for help, you know, it, it's, yep. I saw this really good quote, um, a couple of weeks ago. It's like, you could be the only thing holding your back, you back if you try and do it yourself. Is that yep, mentality, absolutely. that attitude of I'll do it myself. That could be the thing that sets you free. Well, you think about a factory team. You've got one person that specializes in nothing but suspension, one that does nothing but chassis, one that only does, 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 does. Mm. You got a truck driver, you have a team manager, each rider has a mechanic. Well, that's a team of people. And that's what I want people to understand with us, you know, us being you and I. Yeah. Uh, like you say, with the technology advancements, uh, we picked up Kirsten Landman. She's from South Africa. She's the first female to ever finish Descartes. Um, we've been working with her now for about a month. We work with Alex Snow over in the UK. We work with Richard McEwen over in the UK. Um, we work with Tom Armstrong in the UK. Here in the States, we have Mike Witowski. We have, you know, Logan Best, and we have, you know, the list goes on and on. Mm. When I, What I love about it is I have my own Australian team with the Nathan Evans off-road and, and Bay McCory off-road. And then, you know, you've got the Richie Lawlers on the 85s and, and – Jack Burton and those guys that go all the way up to Orion Fernandez and the, and the Brock Nitus. And I'm not purposely omitting any of our team members. What I'm saying is it doesn't matter if you're a weekend warrior, if you want to win, you know, state titles, if you want to come to the States and try to cut your teeth here, whatever, everybody that's listening to your pod, if you have a frustration, please reach out. We don't, and I, I always say this, if I don't have the answer, I will find the answer for you. I don't ever declare that I know everything but I'm darned and determined to learn it because I want to learn it to help you because it always makes me a little bit more educated. So I hope people will take advantage of that, really yeah. do. Yeah, and I think it's so good to have a coach that goes, oh, I'll, I want to learn more. I think probably two years ago, I didn't know anything about a motorbike, <laughs> to be honest, like to be really like transparent for everyone. I didn't know until I started training um, Little Jack and then now I've got like 10 riders, well, 10 MX riders and then like five BMX riders. So, you know, like, and it's all about learning. And the, and the boys made a funny joke on the weekend. They're like, Maddie, are you getting paid to be here at State Titles? And I said, no. No, I just yeah. drove four hours because I want to see you race, mate. I want to learn something. So you're you're here to teach me for the next two days <laughs> and instead it. of me coaching you. so But it was such there a fun go. experience. But, yeah, if you can find a coach that is continually learning. And like you said, you are, what, 38-plus years of experience maybe and, like, all your programming and everything, and, and you still just admitted that you're, you're always learning. I think that's the coolest always thing learning. ever. Always learning. And, and that's why we're going to do our MotoE certification program so that – as we take our network of facilities, you take somebody like, um, take Richie Lawler when he decides to retire. You know, he's got the experience as an athlete. He's had the success of racing. He's been underneath our toolage. He now can go through an educational program. And then when he's finished, we can put him at one of our MotoE facilities that can help the youngers coming up with his experience, his educational background, helps a facility be able to offer a better service for better longevity, better durability. And we just close the loop on what growing the sport it's, but that's where, and, and I want the listeners, maybe you're training with somebody else. If you can't ask, and I hate to use the word trainer and coach, cause it's so adulterated right now. 
you know, there's a lot of unqualified people making a declaration that they're a coach or a trainer or whatever. So let's just use that very, very loosely. But if you can't ask your physio, your trainer, your riding coach, whoever the, it is, why we're doing this. And if that person gets butt hurt and starts raising total hell, you need to find another coach because you deserve to understand. And I say this all the time. If you want to get into the zeros and ones about lactate tolerance and anaerobic threshold and lactate tolerance, let's do it. Let's go deep. But I'd say 90% of my clients are like, I'm busy. I've got a business. I've got a partner. I've got other things I want to do. Just tell me what to do, how hard and for how long. And if you want that, perfect. If you want to spend our weekly call talking about what the heck really is a glycemic index and what's a complex carb and why do you not recommend stretching and only foam rolling? Let's go deep. Let's go into myotactic stretch reflect. Let's mm -hmm. go into these self-defense mechanisms inside the Golgi apparatus of a cell. It'd be like, oh, that's so much. Well, you can go as deep or we can stay as shallow as you want. What I care about is that you understand why you're doing it have confidence on how you created those those successful races or the successful achievements, because why? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about them getting what they want and them understanding how they did it. I want them to have confidence in us. Yeah. Because we're not here to blow smoke up your tail end and make you try to, you know, we're not here to be somebody's man or woman friend. We're here to say, look, this is what's happening. Here's what we can do about it. Let's per persevere. Let's overcome. Let's dig deep. But let's work smart, not hard. Just grinding yourself every day. It goes back to riding your motorcycle in second gear. Most of the listeners would go, that's not very smart. Mm -hmm. Well, then why are you training every day just on a total grind? When I see your social media posts, when you have them on a whiteboard, yeah, <laughs> I, get I get goosebumps every single time. Cool. You know, because it's like, that's a complete package. That's somebody that's thinking outside the box that recognizes, hey, we, we say this mantra all the time. Training is 90% physical, 10% mental. What's high-level performance? 90% mental, 10% physical. Because when, when, that, when that gun goes off, whether it's on a soccer field or rugby field or the gate drops at a motocross race, it, the physical is what it is. It's yeah. what that mental muscle can handle and That's what it's it. prepared for. That's it. No. Nice. Love to see you do that. Thank Good job. you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for, for jumping back on the podcast. I think we just like Always. put it together quickly last week. We just picked a day and, and, and ran with it. And um, so I'm very appreciative for always giving up your time to jump on here um, and giving us so much value. Happy to do it. I appreciate it. And uh, for the listeners, thank you for allowing us to come back, keep the questions coming. And again, you've got to, you got to invest with the services that Maddie's got to offer. It's, it's a goldmine sitting right there. So Please take advantage of it. Thanks for your time, Maddie. Appreciate it. That's okay. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Take care. Never let them stop you grind. And when it's time, don't ever let them stop you shine. Why? Because you work hard to get there. When you get stuck, look up. Don't just sit there. There's haters regardless. Just do what you do. You ain't through till it's finished, man. That's what winners do.